and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Ari Cohn, Free Speech Counsel at Tech Freedom. We will discuss the proposed Kids Online Safety Act currently being considered by the Senate. So welcome back to the show, Ari. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so this seems like there's some legislation being considered that's a pretty big deal from the perspective of online privacy, First Amendment, and uh, related issues. What's going on? What is the Kids Online Safety Act? What's it supposed to accomplish and how's it supposed to accomplish it? Yeah, so there's been a lot of talk in recent years. Um, I should say mostly over the last year uh, with respect to how kids are online and what they're experiencing online. And there's been a bunch of hearings and various committees and they culminated in a few different legislative proposals and the Kids Online Safety Act or COSA is, is one of them. The bill's ostensible purpose is to protect kids, uh, from harmful stuff that happens online. Uh, But of course the devil is in the details. Um, And I I should note that this bill uh, is emblematic of a problem recently when legislating issues like this, these are very complex issues and there's a reason why Congress has struggled over the years to address them. They're very complex. And if you hear the bill's sponsors talk about it, you would think, that this bill had been through the ringer, that it had been vetted and gone over and over and over again in hearings and whatnot by experts and and everyone. Uh, But in reality, all the hearings that Congress has had of kids' online safety, it's all been general hearings. Oh, what is the problem? What's the scope of the problem? How should we address it? When you look at how much time this particular bill has gotten in discussion, it's less than 20 minutes in committee. Uh, talking about kids' safety is one thing, but actually getting down to brass tacks is quite another. And Congress could have avoided a lot of these problems by simply having hearings on the bill and actually talking about what this particular bill actually does. And increasingly, you're seeing Congress kind of toss aside those in-depth hearings on specific pieces of legislation uh, in exchange for broad general hearings. And, and to me, that's a big problem. Uh, because it really reduces the ability of people to raise their hand and say, hey, wait a second. Uh, So specifically for the Kids Online Safety Act, it has a bunch of different provisions. The most important ones um, are, A, it's duty of care. Um, The duty of care is to act in minor users' best interests, which sounds nice, but as we'll see kind of, uh, what does that mean? <laughs> um, and in doing so, platforms are instructed to uh, prevent and mitigate various types of harm, uh, like physical violence, bullying, uh, psychological uh, harms caused by you know eating disorder con- uh, content, suicide, things like that, promotion of narcotic drugs, all that kind of stuff, the kind of stuff you'd expect people to complain about kids seeing online. Um, 
and just take a step back for a second, I probably should have started with this, is who is covered by the Kids Online Safety Act. COSA basically applies to every single online service that allows you to like make an account and share content. It applies to messaging apps. It applies to video games. It applies to uh, any website that lets you share, that primarily provides a forum for user-generated content. It is extremely broad. Basically, anything that's not a purely informational website gets swept into it. But even then, it does catch purely informational content because what is Wikipedia but a forum for user-generated content? An online encyclopedia is covered by this bill to give you an idea of how broad it is. Um, another one of its main provisions is uh, certain safeguards that it has to provide for minors. Now, these also don't sound objectionable immediately. Some of them include uh, the ability to prevent, to give to minors the ability to prevent people over the age of 17 from finding or contacting them uh, and stuff like that. And for certain age groups, the younger age groups, it requires those uh, settings to be the default. Um, so this all sounds like great common sense. This is how we're going to protect kids online. But when you think about it for a few more seconds, the, the holes and the, and the problems seem to uh, appear rather quickly. And um, I don't know if there's any particular order you want to go over them in, but. Yeah. Well, I mean, why don't we start with this idea of who this is supposed to protect and, and how, in other words, Who's it geared to? Is it geared toward like all minors, like everyone under 18 or people under a particular age? And how does the draft bill propose to require different internet service providers to determine the age of potential users? Right. So the bill broadly applies to individuals under the age of 17, but there are certain uh, aspects of it, like for the default settings provision, I, I believe it's under 13 or something like that. So there's different categories uh, of of children, but broadly, the, the, the bill uh, extends to users that are under the age of 17. Uh, and you bring up a good point. To really act in minors' best interests and to provide some of these things. For instance, um, the provision, the safeguard provision that requires the option of disallowing uh, finding or contact from individuals over 17, the only way, the only literal way that you can actually provide that is if you know every single user's age. Uh, you don't have to just identify the minors. You have to identify who is not a minor. Um, otherwise, you have no idea who's, you know, how you can't actually build a, a tool that blocks somebody over the age of 17 from contacting you. Um, and there's a problem with that. And this problem is is not new. It is well known. Um, there's a practical problem in that. How do you actually verify somebody's age? Um a lot of websites have used credit card information over the year, but kids have credit cards these days, among all the other insane things that kids have these days. Uh, they have credit cards, and they can take their parents' credit cards. That's not going to work. Uh, people have moved in, like the, the government, well, for a moment, moved into the whole live selfie ID. 
uh, where you, you know, intrusively hold your phone in front of your face and take a live picture or video. Even that's not really going to work. I Googled trick how to trick selfie identification or selfie verification. And the first page had at least four websites with clear instructions, including downloads for free software on how to easily fool these systems. You're never going to be able to do it. It's just not feasible. But even if it was, Congress has tried this before when it passed the Child Online Protection Act uh, back in 1996, 98. I'm, I get all my years mixed up now. If it happened before 2000, I don't remember. Um, but they, it was a, a bill toward, uh, aimed towards preventing the transmission of uh, content that's harmful to minors to them. And the government tried to say, well, there's an affirmative defense you can use. Uh, we're saying you know, we, we tried to age verify users. Uh, and the courts were not impressed, not only because of the, the practical limitations of, of such a, a scheme, which just doesn't work, but also because the First Amendment gives us the right to access lawful content anonymously and to speak anonymously, too. And the court said, this is just, if, if you're going to make people verify their identity, give up their their ID docs or whatever, uh, people are going to hesitate to access controversial content. Um, and for good reason, and not least of which is privacy, but also in this day and age when uh, our I online identification and our, our digital trails are so valuable to malicious actors and criminals, ID thefts for sure. But think about, you know, how many people complain about uh, you know, certain government actions or who live in a country run by authoritarian regimes uh, who would love nothing more than a repository of people who have said dissident things online uh, easily accessible. I mean, it's, it's a problem to have all this stuff here. Uh, but so, so the court is, the courts have struck down these laws, not just the federal law. The states have tried to pass similar laws and the courts have unanimously said, no, you can't make people give their ID just to access completely lawful content. And this is even, we're just talking about adults right now, uh, because there are, you know, people say, well, kids are different, but, it's important to remember that kids are not without First Amendment rights, too. Uh, the ACLU put out a great letter on this on, on COSA as well, saying, listen, like, you might want to protect kids, but you can't just strip kids of their First Amendment rights either. Uh, and it also burdens the First Amendment rights of the people operating these websites and platforms. The cost to implement an age verification regime it's huge. Uh, it, it's large. And the maybe the big platforms can handle it. That still wouldn't be any less of a burden. But really think about like, for instance, one of the forums that I've been on over the years, an Illinois sports forum. It's run by a, a guy, an Illinois sports fan. And he just does it out of, you know, love for, for his alma mater. And he's not going to be able to absorb the cost of that. He certainly wouldn't be able to absorb the cost of, say, an enforcement action by the FTC, which would be completely ruinous. Uh, so, you know, what's he going to do? He's going to have to shut down because he's a forum that provides a you know place for users to contribute content and talk to each other, uh, undeniably covered under COSA. Uh, so, I mean, 
the 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 quote I keep coming back to is um, when the court struck down the Communication Decency Act of 1996. Um, they it referenced a previous uh, decision about uh, burning a house to roast a pig. Uh, and said the Communications Decency Act goes farther and threatens to torture a large segment of the internet community. And COSA does exactly the same thing. And it's unclear whether all of the senators really knew this is what they were doing because nobody really talked about the technical aspects of the bill and how it would, you know, work. Uh, but I will note that Senator Blumenthal has been on the age verification warpath for a decade plus. Uh, he he was mad at MySpace back in the day for not age verifying users. Like certainly he knew what he was doing, uh, but it's it just there's no way in our First Amendment jurisprudence as it's been set up for that to work um, in a way that doesn't violate the First Amendment. It, it's just it's not. Well, so as I understand it, there's multiple previous court decisions striking down similar laws uh, relating to age verification on First Amendment grounds. So, so that's been out there for a while. Yeah, when since the 90s. Con- Yeah, so when Congress drafted this new bill that it's now considering, what, if anything, did it do to try to solve the problems that the courts had previously recognized and found to make these earlier iterations of similar legislation unconstitutional? Absolutely nothing. It would not surprise you to hear probably. Um, Again, and that might just be because they didn't even realize what they were doing would effectively be an age verification requirement because it's, it doesn't say it in the bill that you have to verify everyone's age but the bill is impossible to comply with if you don't verify everyone's age. And, you know, bless their hearts, um, our elected officials aren't necessarily always the most concerned with the the details. (laughs) You know, it's, it's obvious to me looking at it because I'm looking for these, for these issues. Um, They, they might've just kind of skimmed it and said, this sounds good. It looks like it's for the children. And, you know, we all know how how things when, when somebody says, "Won't anybody think of the children?" We we usually know how that turns out, and it's not great for the children. Well, what about the First Amendment rights of of children? Broadly speaking, like how expansive have courts found those to be, and what do you think the biggest problems with this proposed legislation are in relation to ensuring? that the legitimate First Amendment rights of minors, whichever age band they fall into, are recognized and vindicated? Yeah, so there are, uh, you know, there's a spectrum. Uh, You know, older teens are more mature and they generally, courts are a little bit more deferential to their rights, whereas as you get younger and younger to like preteens, there's a little bit less deference um, because kids are still in those, you know, formative years. Uh, but, you know, one thing is certain. I mean, when California tried to ban the sale of violent video games to minors, uh, the, the court cited precedent and said, uh, there's just no, there's no legitimate reason why the government can just say, we have decided that you children 
are incapable of dealing with this speech that we don't think that you should have access to that would be constitutionally protected for adults um, and just cut you off from it. Uh, you know, there is uh, it's the Erzosnik case back from boy, if I can't remember things from the nineties, <laughs> good luck uh, getting me to remember what year this one was. Uh, but the, there are, the court pointed out in that case that there is a uh, very narrow limited circumstances, usually involving things that are, say, obscene as to minors that wouldn't be obscene as to adults, that, you know, the government can regulate for kids, where it wouldn't be able to regulate for adults. But this, I mean, when you think of the topics covered, mental harms, again, whatever that means, um, you know, sexual exploitation is one that maybe doesn't implicate this as much, but narcotic drugs and tobacco and alcohol uh, and self-harm and suicide and things like that. Uh, these aren't things that just are, that exist in any sphere of non-protected land, shall we call it. Uh, they are things, this is entirely constitutionally protected speech and the government has just invented this new class of things that minors would conceivably be banned from. And that's, that's part of, you know, again, the bill doesn't say uh, you shall not expose kids to any of these uh, topics. But when you look at what the duty of care says, well, you have to prevent and mitigate these harms online. What is a platform that is staring down the barrel of an FTC enforcement action that it desperately wants to avoid going to do? Well, it could just cut off minors entirely from its service. I don't Nobody except that one guy this morning who introduced a bill in Texas to ban social media for kids altogether, uh, laughably, uh, wants that. But the platforms have to be risk averse. They, they have a lot at stake here. They're going to block kids from all content that could possibly relate to these things. And that's a big mistake. And as we pointed out in the letter, take eating disorders. Um, and the same goes for suicide. People post about these things for very different reasons. And people are impacted them by them in very different ways. Uh, this bill effectively treats minors as a monolith, as ex interchangeable things that all react exactly the same way to everything. Um, but who's to say that seeing some, you know, very skinny fashion model is going to trigger some kind of eating disorder in every kid, but it could trigger uh, you know, latent problems in another kid. It's impossible to tell. The safest route is to just block everything. And that's not even to speak of the fact that people post about these topics, about suicide and eating disorders especially, oftentimes so they can get help. And people post about them to steer people away from these things. But blocking those content, that content wholesale eliminates the ability to reach people in that way. Uh, and I mean, I can't be any more clear than this. Kids are going to have eating disorders and have depression and be suicidal, regardless of what they see on the internet. And blocking off avenues for them to actually get help is just profoundly irresponsible. Mm. So if this bill were enacted, who exactly would be responsible for determining whether a particular internet service provider had properly implemented the de facto age verification 
regime and and whether or not they satisfied their obligations under under the law. So there's two different enforcement mechanisms. Uh, one is the FTC, and you'd expect to see that. And I will say, you know, of all of the agencies, one of the last you want an, an action, an enforcement action from, is the FTC. It's a really bad idea to piss off the FTC uh, because they 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 go for blood. Uh, and you saw that with the Facebook, what was it, like $5 billion uh, settlement or whatever. Like, it, it's crazy the results they get. Uh, the, the SEC looks like nothing compared to them. Um, so there's that. And then there's also a provision that allows state attorneys general to bring these actions. The problem with that should be incredibly obvious. Uh, and we pointed this out in the letter you have Ken Paxton out in Texas saying that it's child abuse to get your trans uh, child gender affirming care. You have people, you know, Governor DeSantis' spokeswoman in Florida calling, you know, discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity grooming. You have people like shooting up electrical boxes to stop drag shows from happening because they're calling it grooming. Um, one of the things that, that COSA requires platforms to mitigate includes the word grooming. And it's entirely predictable that, okay, I'm Ken Paxton in Texas. I'm going to bring a suit saying you have not prevented or mitigated these har the harms from discussing gender, gender identity on social media. Great. So say goodbye to, you know, LGBTQ content. Uh, you could have Tish James in New York saying allowing discussion of guns or allowing quote unquote hate speech on social media puts children in physical danger. And one of the things that COSA requires prevention and mitigation of is physical harm. There is no end to the amount of possible abuse by state attorneys general who are by and large are far more uh, politicians than they are law enforcement to go after speech that they don't like online and try and purge it. Uh, and it can go broader than just, Oh, you let kids see this. The duty of care doesn't specify that the harm to be mitigated has to come from the child's use of social media. So say in the New York case, if Tish James, um, say two people are saying, you know, racist things and talking about guns and whatnot, and one of them goes and commits, you know, an atrocity. Well, if one of the kids that was injured in that happened to also be a user of the platform, does that mean the platform failed to prevent and mitigate that harm? Maybe the, the bill, the bill seemingly contemplates that same thing in Texas. Well, there's a, a Facebook group, for instance, where parents talk for, you know, for parents of trans kids and they're talking about gender affirming care. They're talking about how best to support their kids. And one of them gets, uh, you know, gender affirming care for their child who also happens to be a user on the platform. The minor wasn't involved at all in the, in these discussions, didn't even see the content. But 
would in Ken Paxton's head were they harmed because that speech was allowed to happen. Uh, it, you can you can see that you know I could go on and on with different examples, um, but but this is just a gaping hole for a full frontal assault on entirely protected speech. Does the language of the bill include any provisions that attempt to limit its scope to non-protected speech or to try to kind of cabin off speech that's entitled to First Amendment protection from speech or speech-related activities that aren't? Absolutely not. I mean, this this bill basically tries to pretend the First Amendment doesn't exist. Uh, there's no limitations to that. There's nothing that even counsels considering it. And, you know, it's just interesting. One of the other things uh, that always comes to mind is, you know, when it comes to things like, what does it mean to promote tobacco, alcohol, or narcotic drugs? Are kids can kids not participate in political discussions about drug policy reform like do we have to remove their access to songs that reference drugs or alcohol like say goodbye to basically everything good uh, you know it, it's just there's it's so broad and unworkable that it's impossible i don't think anyone in the Senate can tell you what compliance with this bill looks like. It is so vague. And that's kind of the point, though. I think what they want to do is say, okay, well, we've given you these broad sets of uh, commands and edicts, and now you figure out how to implement them. Uh, but that's just a really bad way to protect kids if that's really your game. Like, that is just not feasible. And it's go it would be extremely painful and disruptive in the interim while they're trying to sort out exactly how to do that. I can't fathom how it would be possible to fully comply with this. Uh, it is an area that's so devoid of one reasonable approach. No, the reason people, the kids, you know, don't get the protection that people think they should online is because there is no way to comprehensively provide it. It is completely dependent on the individual. There is no platform level solution that is going to be acceptable even. It's like kind of like content moderation, like impossible to do well. Uh, and it's foolish to think that platforms can do it. And it's downright harmful to make them try to do it. Um, and, you know, parents are nowhere to be found. You know, yes, parents have to have, certain abilities to surveil their kids under COSA, which is another just dystopian addition to the bill. Um, we didn't get into that in the letter, but it's absolutely not what we should be teaching our kids is to uh, expect to be monitored by authority figures for the rest of their lives. Uh, but there's, there's just no way to actually distill this bill into a workable solution. Mm. Well, it seems pretty clear that that Congress wants to do something, thinks it should do something, maybe isn't thinking hard enough about what it should be doing and how it should be doing it. I guess I can't help but wonder, like, can the bill be fixed or could parts of the bill be fixed or 
is the goal achievable in some way, even if not in this way, maybe like even just in part, like, like if you had a Congress member's ear and you were able to sort of give them a kind of best practices, sort of advice about how to approach some of these perceived problems, what would you tell them? I would say scrap this in its entirety. It is trash and it is unworkable. And if you really want to do something, go with data privacy and data protection. Um, that's the most likely workable thing that Congress can work on. And they, they've they ignored it less as of very recently, but by and large, these, these have all been messaging bills about you know, quote unquote, big tech's abuses and, and what have you, you know, it, it's almost like they're not actually trying to solve the problem and instead trying to show their constituents who are hopping mad about this, that, or the other thing that they are quote unquote doing something. But as we know, you know, step one, something must be done. Step two, this is something. Step three, ergo, we must do this. Um, I, this, I always come back to the old saying about not letting perfect be the enemy of good. And I would modify it a little bit that uh, we shouldn't let doing something be the enemy of doing something good. Uh, it's just, we are, we get so our, our news cycle and our political attention span as a nation is so limited that, if it feels good temporarily, it gives you that hit of feeling good, like we're doing something, well, that's good enough, regardless of whether it's actually doing something that we want to do. Mm. So I guess one thing, question, I, one thing I wonder about is in your experience, are our platforms, especially large platforms, trying in their own way and have been trying in their own way to accomplish some of the kind of big picture goals that Congress seems to be gesturing toward in, in this bill? And, you know, to what extent have they developed methods or tools that are at least partially successful in achieving those goals? I think they are. I think they're trying. Um, and I, I can't give you too many specifics uh, because I'm not them, but just from what I perceive, they're trying. It's just a really difficult, complex task. Uh, you block a hashtag, someone changes a spelling or comes up with a new code word, uh, and the same content becomes easily findable and proliferates. Uh, it's really difficult. You, you can do the things they've done about... Um, inserting little nudges like, hey, you're searching for self-harm content. Like, if you need help, reach out to somebody. Uh, but platforms can't be parents. That is just, it's it's not in their, first of all, it's not in their business plan. Um, and it's just, it's not within their capacity. Uh, you know, the, there is no way for a platform of so many users to be able to tell what's going on in each individual kid's life. The best they can do seemingly is broad generalized strokes that try to help intervene and probably don't catch everything or intervene in cases where, you know, somebody's maybe searching for something else. Um, but really what can you expect them to do? They're not the world's shrink and they can't be. Uh, so it, it's really difficult. And it, 
the fact that Congress has struggled with this so much over the years, like that should be a warning sign, not a sign that, oh, well, maybe we weren't just doing it hard enough. I mean, it's just, it's so nuanced, uh, just as all things human are, that reducing it to missives, to platforms, to just prevent and mitigate harm, uh, it just undersells what the actual problems are and misplaces the solution. I don't have the answers. I wish I did. I'd be way more wealthy than I am, uh, which is not at all, to be clear. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's tough. It's fraught with, with complexity. It's uh, fraught with, you know, unintended consequences, as this bill shows. I mean, I don't think... The, even the bill sponsors would say we want kids to be cut off from anti-nicotine campaign ads or we want kids to be cut off from anti-eating disorder content. Uh, I, I don't think they would say that. I think that whatever I think of their legislative skills, I think they're better people than that. Um, and this bill clearly does those things and will result in those things. You got to be very careful about the unintended consequences. And I just don't think they've been careful enough, especially not with this bill. If we had three rounds of hearings on this bill where people actually, you know, discussed how it would work in practice, maybe we would have seen something that looks completely different and maybe it would have been better. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is we never had that opportunity. Hmm. Well, so in closing, Ari, what's the, what's the timeline for, for this bill. And if listeners are, are concerned about it, what, if anything, can they do? So it's hard to say. I mean, Congress uh, obviously has pretty much until the end of the year, um, plus a little bit to get things done before the new Congress comes in. Um, so I would say, you know, if it, if it doesn't move by Christmas, it's probably not happening. Um, but any number of things could happen. We could see an omnibus bill by the end of the session. Uh, you know, who knows? Uh, there could be machinations about a continuing resolution that stuffs other things in there. God only knows what can happen. Um, you know, Congress around holiday season is notoriously nutter butter. Uh, so <laughs> hard to say. Um, we are hopeful that with all the concerns uh, from us, uh, from groups like the ACLU, and there was a coalition letter from the Center for Democracy and Technology and Fight for the Future that had a whole like 90 plus list of organizations opposing the bill, uh, which we also proudly signed on to. Uh, hopefully, there's been enough momentum saying, wait, slow down, don't do anything too crazy here. Um, but if you are concerned about this bill, and you should be because it has the impact, it has the ability to impact what you can say online too, not just what kids can say or see online, uh, you contact your senator and tell them to pump the brakes. I mean, at the very least, this needs more discussion. I don't think it can be fixed. Um, I'd be happy to be proven wrong if somebody can come up with a magical idea that I have never considered. Um, yeah, I mean, it's there's been such so little discussion publicly about this bill um, that pe- that senators haven't had the opportunity to hear from constituents. So definitely contact your elected official. I know we're all kind of jaded about that these days, but uh, it does make a difference. 
Awesome. Well, Ari, thanks for coming on the program again to talk about this piece of legislation and the letter that you drafted uh, opposing it. Uh, if any minors are listening to the program, uh, I disclaim any responsibility for the content <laughs> in question. And uh, thank you very much. My pleasure. Always happy to hang out with you, Brian.